The story is told of the Sunday school teacher. You've maybe heard the story. I've told it before. The young boy is scribbling away on a piece of paper, and the teacher leans over the page and says, Wow, you're working very hard on that piece of paper. What are you doing? The boy doesn't even lift his head and says, I'm drawing a picture of God. Well, the wise teacher knows she doesn't want to disappoint the child or stifle his creativity, but it's also a perfect opportunity to teach a little theology, that God is spirit. You can't draw a picture of God as such. And so she says very gently, oh, how are you going to do that? Because no one has ever seen God. The boy kept right on working, didn't lift his head and said, they'll know when I get done. I see myself in that little boy quite often. It is my life labor and my consuming interest to help people to see God. And I know the task is way beyond me. I know that I fall so terribly far short of conveying the glories of God to His people. How I wish I could see more clearly the splendors of God's glory. How I long to speak and to live those glories with more effectiveness. The paintings I make with words and deeds and attitudes fall so very short. But it is nevertheless my desire to influence others for God. When my days on earth are over, it is my desire that there will be people on this earth who know God's word better because I was here. When my days on earth are over, I want there to be people who I'm, I protected from evil influence and false doctrine. When I die, I want there to be people who I led and steered toward righteousness. And when I die, I want there to be people on this earth who can say, He cared for my soul. People who can say that I pointed them to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who can say that I lifted them up in times of trial and challenge. Simply put, I want to leave this life as a shepherd. A shepherd who has fed and led and protected and cared for God's flock. Now maybe we just start hearing some clapping. Good job, pastor, go get them. That's what we want a pastor to be. Of course, that's what you would want to happen in your life. Be a shepherd. What's that got to do with us? This is my proposition today. No matter who you are, no matter your age or situation in life, if you are a born-again believer, you should have that very same life orientation. While few of us will ever serve as official shepherds of God's flock, every one of us should live lives to influence other people for Jesus Christ. You have no other reason to be here. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have come to saving faith in Him. Why are you here if it is not to influence others for Christ? Everything else is temporal. Or everything else is something that we can do in eternity. We are to influence others for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be shepherds of souls. 
Before you leave this life, there should be someone who knows God better because you were here, who has fed on His Word because you are here. Now, you may not be ready for that yet. You may not be ready to teach and to affect the influence of God's Word in the life of another person, but you ought to be making direct and purposeful progress to that point in your life. There should be people who are left here on this earth when you die who you protected from evil influence, who you cared for spiritually and uplifted and encouraged, people that you inspired to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This, I believe, is a legitimate inference drawn from our study of the biblical theme of shepherding which we have been tracing through Scripture. We've considered that God is our shepherd. And then we consider that unique ministry of the shepherds of Israel some of them giving tremendous aid to God's people and helping people come to God and move forward for Him. Other shepherds being failures and not pointing others to the Lord. We then consider the Lord Jesus Christ who stood forward as the great shepherd of the sheep to shepherd the souls of His people. And we then considered last week the official shepherds of the New Testament church this theme running throughout Scripture, I think, comes now today to conclusion to consider that this is a theme that should affect all of us. Not in a clapping way of applause towards someone who is a faithful shepherd of a church, but in a heart-searching way to consider that we are all shepherds of God's people. In some respect, you are to feed and to protect and to care and to inspire people for Christ. This is not a proposition that I derive from one verse of Scripture and can show you that particular verse. It is, and I believe, however, a faithful application of what we've considered in this series. I believe there's solid evidence that the shepherding theme is to be wisely applied beyond the role of the official pastors of the assembly. And as we sung, as I mentioned here earlier, as we sung that we are saints, everyone. We are a priesthood of believers. And we could go on that, in that direction alone to prove this point. But I'd like to draw it out of 1 Timothy chapter 3, first of all, and we'll center mainly here to see this inference in this passage, 1 Timothy. I don't believe this will be too difficult to follow at all, but there will be some logical development that takes place. You need to follow through from step to step as I draw this inference from the Word of God. 1 Timothy 3, where do we land when we come to 1 Timothy? The Apostle Paul instructs his faithful understudy Timothy in this letter, who is the leader where? He's the leader at Ephesus. Remember last week we looked at Paul's writing to the Ephesian elders. Well, Timothy is here working at this church at Ephesus, and one of his duties is to appoint elders and deacons to serve the church. Paul instructs Timothy here in chapter 3 concerning the kind of men that Timothy should seek out for these offices. Things are probably a little bit unique here at this point in time. That is, Timothy is, appears to be appointing individuals to these offices at this place in church history. But he is there as an apostolic delegate to do that. And Paul says, here are the kinds of men that you're to look for. There are certain qualifications Let's not forget what he said in Acts chapter 20 to the Ephesian elders themselves. Put this together, if you will. Here is the kind of man, 
1 Timothy 3, that should be chosen to lead the assembly as a shepherd. What did Paul say to those shepherds? Acts 20, you are to feed the flock of God. You are to shepherd God's people. You are to protect and care for them and give your life for them and their spiritual progress. That's the job. Here's the kind of man that you need to search out for that position to lead God's flock. This is the context. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. Let's read just briefly here some of this instruction. Here is a trustworthy saying, says Paul, if anyone gets his, sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. We will center in now on verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. He must manage his own family well. There are certain gifts, life experiences, and characteristic qualities a man must have in order to qualify for spiritual leadership of God's family. I say gifts, he must be able to teach. That is not something that is given to everyone. That is not something that can be purchased. That is just, there is a gift there to some degree. There are characteristic qualities of life and even life experiences. He must not be a novice, a new believer. That's a life experience. Nothing wrong with being a new believer. But uh, there are some of these types of qualifications. But there are others that are qualities of the individual. Character traits, we might say. To qualify to lead God's family, these things must be in place. These qualities in particular need to be evidenced in the way in which he manages his own family. I think there is a connection there between God's family and his own family. He must manage the family well. Greek linguists inform us that this word meshes together two ideas, that of leading and caring for. He's to be a leading caregiver in his family or a caring leader. This is the kind of man that God is looking for for these offices. Now we notice there in verse 4, it says that he must be one who sees that his children obey him with proper respect. To see that his children obey him with proper respect. I think this rules out two types of fathers that we see quite consistently in our culture in particular. First of all, the one who is ruled out, is that man who does not see to it. He must see to it that his children obey him with proper respect. It is going to take hard work. It is going to take diligent effort, persistent patience to raise children who obey with proper respect. Some fathers, many fathers in fact, simply do not see to this. For one reason or another, they just don't get that done. Many fathers teach and train and communicate and have fun with their children. But these fathers are ineffective in training their children to obey them with reverence. Often they're quite pleased with their children, maybe even enamored with their children. But you ask a discerning adult somewhere, an objective bystander, does that man teach his children to obey him? And anybody with any sense would say, no, not really. That's not the kind of man God's looking for. 
There are other fathers, I think, who are ruled out here, I should say, under this same head, that many fathers are just simply not involved. They're not sufficiently involved to bring their children to a place of obedience. What is going on in their children's life is really not something they focus on very much or very often. Maybe it is just being involved in other things. Maybe it is simply not caring. But you go out there and line fathers up, and there's an awful lot of fathers that get a lot done, but not obedience, and a lot who don't even get that done. That's one father, I think, who is ruled out for leadership in the flock by this instruction. There's a second kind of man, I think, who is ruled out here. The second man is the man who gets his children to obey, but they do not respect him. They may be scared or intimidated to obey him, but there's no genuine sense of respect. Now, I haven't learned outside of Jesus Christ of any human being on earth that has respected their parents all the time without error. That's part of the training process, is to teach the child to respect. But there should be a general turn of life, a general pattern that the child gives to his father, his or her father, the respect that comes with this honorable obedience. Respect is hard won by the father who insists that his children obey because he loves them and because he in turn obeys God. That is not a respect you can just make happen. That's one that is hard won. Now, does this line of instruction, think of this, obedience that comes with respect, does that ring any bells? Is Paul saying anything novel here? That's just Ephesians 2 all over, isn't it? Ephesians 2, Ephesians 6, rather. Verses 1 and 2 all over again. What does it say there to children? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Secondly, honor your father and mother. There is that same twofold command to obey with respect. All Paul is saying here is that the man needs to have his home based on a passage such as Ephesians 5 and 6. Managing his own family well is not some kind of elitist requirement that applies only to pastors. You can find the very same requirements, and we could emphasize the same point out of verses 2 and 3 in particular. You can look at these same requirements, take out the ones that are unique gifting, take out the ones that are circumstantial. You look at the qualities and the characteristics of the man, and these are commands for all of us. It's not some elitist standard. And so Paul says, he must be one who manages his home well, seeing that his children obey him with proper respect. The point is simply that no man is capable of leading God's family if he is not leading and caring for his home, as God requires all Christians, all Christian husbands in particular, to do. That means I think we could expand beyond to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24. He has a responsibility in managing his home to see that his wife relates to him in the right way. Now, he can't control that entirely, but he can live a life that pulls that from his wife. He is to love his wife and to, and to give his life for her in sacrificial love. His children are to be obedient and to honor him with respect, which comes out of his own character and his own life and his own direction with them. 
He's to be a man who can manage the family well on the basis of God's truth. That's the man you're looking for, Timothy, says Paul. So no matter how skilled the man is in leadership or preaching or the like, if he does not manage his family well, he is not fit to shepherd the flock of God. Now why is that? Why this requirement? This does cut out a lot of people who are very capable. More on that in just a moment. But here is the implication, here's the explanation rather, for this requirement. Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? We're supposed to, if we're reading, understanding Paul here, verse 4 makes perfect sense if we will honor verse 5. Verse 4, he must manage his own family well. Why is that? Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's family? Can a rotten husband successfully direct a large metropolitan orchestra? Sure. Can a man who is a failure as a husband and father skillfully lead a struggling business to unprecedented financial success? Happens all the time. Can a man coach a mediocre team of athletes to a championship? while completely failing to manage his own children. That happens all the time, too. Can a man who fails to lead his family successfully shepherd a local church? God says no. If a man struggles to shepherd his own family, he will struggle to shepherd God's family. If he is not successful on the small scale, he will not be successful on the larger scale. So that's the first implication. Here's where you need to follow the thinking. Church leadership is of the same nature as family leadership. Church leadership is of the same nature as family leadership, which leads to the second implication. Family leadership is therefore a shepherding function. Is it not? If shepherding is the function of the pastor and the nature of leadership in God's family is the same as the leadership in, in the uh, immediate family, then it follows that family leadership is a shepherding function. A pastor's leadership of the church is of the same nature as his leadership of his home. And since all men are to lead their homes, according to Ephesians 5, it follows that every Christian husband and father is a spiritual shepherd of his family. And since every wife is to labor as a helper suitable to her husband, Ephesians 5, every Christian mother is also a spiritual shepherd. She's involved in the very same process with her husband. And since the shepherds of the church are called to feed the flock God's Word, then every teacher in the church functions as a spiritual shepherd, feeding the truth of God's Word to his lambs. And since teaching obviously extends past the doors of a formal classroom, it follows that every parent and every adult who has any influence over children should serve as a spiritual shepherd. 
And if adults can function as spiritual shepherds, who would deny that older and more mature children can serve as spiritual shepherds to younger, less mature children? And on occasion, have we not all experienced a time or two when even a child can teach us and can shepherd our souls? Think of the illustration of it's uh, an account from the life of Charles Spurgeon, who was not a believer at the time, was not converted, but was a young child. I re- forget all of the details, but I believe was uh, a relative of his that was a pastor. And his pastor had a very wayward member of his parish, a man who was living in godless sin. And of course, in England, in that context, the people of your parish were the people who lived around you. They weren't all necessarily converted. They weren't all necessarily members of the church as we understand it, but that was your parish, and you were responsible for all the people there, and they came to your church, and you needed to minister to them, and there was this one man who spent most of his time at the tavern, and it very much hurt his pastor's heart to see him wasting his life. And as the story is told, little Charles Spurgeon walked into that tavern one day and preached a sermon to that man while he drank and said, who do you think you are? So putting this wound in the heart of your pastor that you live this way. And that message converted that man. God sent a message through his lips And they said that though the man never did learn to read, he would every day of his life take his Bible and with his finger follow the lines of the text that he couldn't read because of the great love that he he now had for the Word of God. Now, I'm not saying that all of our children should go into some tavern somewhere and nail some guy while he's drinking his beer. But the point is clear. Children can also shepherd and influence for righteousness. To some degree, every Christian can serve as a spiritual shepherd in some way, to some degree, with someone. And I would say that as we carefully follow what God calls us to do, that we would say, in fact, that that is His will. His will is for us to shepherd others, to influence them for Christ. And what do shepherds do? Shepherds feed the flock. And so I ask, are you influencing someone by feeding them on God's Word in some way or another? Or are you developing so that you will be able and you are intending to come to that place where you will know enough of God's Word to share it with someone else? And I would venture to say anybody that's been around here for any time at all has something to say to somebody. You could share God's Word on some level, with someone. Are you doing that? Are you feeding anyone the truth of God? Shepherds protect the flock. Are you aware of spiritual dangers in this world? And are you willing to warn others about them? Shepherds lead the flock. Are you giving spiritual vision? Or are you leading someone to God? Shepherds care for the flock. Do you seek out people to encourage them spiritually? Are you active in nurturing the spiritual health of someone else on this planet? Are you actively influencing other people for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
We're all to be shepherds. And I think we could find parallels to this theme, though again, it does not say, be shepherds, everybody. We don't find that verse in the text of Scripture, but we find that same principle, that same point throughout the New Testament. I turn to just a couple of passages here, to three. Romans chapter 14, first of all, and verse 19. We see, I want to just give a, a little different take, a little different spin on this very same point, though it might be couched in different terms. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19. Paul instructs the Roman believers in 14.19, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. There is to be a building up of the flock of God by the flock of God. It's not those same terms, but it's this very same principle. God sees His people as His flock. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. There are shepherds within the flock. And he says to all, without distinction, do whatever it takes to develop mutual edification within the assembly. Shepherd God's people. Chapter 15 of Romans and verse 1. Romans 15 and verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak. That's not physical, though that would follow, but it, this is spiritual weakness. We should not please ourselves, that is, we don't live unto ourselves, but verse 2, each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up, to encourage others within the assembly, in fact, to live your life in such a way that it does that very thing. Hebrews 10, we remember the classic call of encouragement here. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24. You know it well. But let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. To spur one another on, the original text, the word could be translated to incite, to provoke, to urge, to stimulate. Again, that is very seldom, I think, with a lecture. But I think that it is with the, with the moral suasion of our lives to persuade others, to incite them to righteousness by the way that we live. And yes, in time, in right place, with words of encouragement. In fact, at times with words of rebuke. But let us consider how we can spur one another on, how we can encourage or provoke one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, verse 25, as, the, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. As we considered at camp here just yesterday, that idea of the day of the Lord approaching and how we should live in light of that day here the idea is not in the context of suffering, as Paul Perdue brought to our attention, but here the context is what? The context is encouraging. You know what? We're not going to be down here a whole lot longer. If you're like me, those of you who are at camp are feeling that today. <laughs> you're about half alive. Our bodies are falling apart. Our days are numbered. We're not going to be here forever. There's a short window of opportunity to encourage others until the day of Jesus Christ, until His coming, until He calls us home. We have a short time to make a difference in this world for Christ. There are, these verses illustrate our need to serve one another as shepherds. 
who seek the spiritual welfare of the flock of God. Let me apply for just a few moments here. Husbands and fathers, you are the spiritual shepherds of your home. I hope that you cannot leave here today without going with that picture in your head. I am the spiritual shepherd of my home. That does not say you're doing a good job at it necessarily, but it is the fact. You can be a bad spiritual shepherd. But you are that spiritual shepherd of your home. God has placed you there. I'm assuming the context of Ephesians 5 and 6. But you are the spiritual shepherd of your home. As a spiritual shepherd, then, you are to manage your home well. Ephesians 5 is not directed to elders alone, but to every Christian husband. God has ordained that you lead your home spiritually, that you nurture a warm spiritual climate and influence your wife and your children for God, that you see that as your responsibility. You are to guard your home against sinful influences. You are to feed your family the Word of God. You are to lead your wife and children on a path that leads to righteousness and godliness. And it is your God-given responsibility to lovingly and with great care oversee the way that this family is developing. Your family's entertainment habits the way that you spend money, your children's discipline and education and training, your wife's schedule and workload, her attitudes and sensitivities toward the antagonists and trials of your life. You are to lead your family in prayer and Bible intake and spiritual discussion. You're to lead them, you are to lead them to church and into ministry and in the grace of giving and on it goes. None of this is to be dictatorial. Just read the passages of Scripture that God gives to the leaders of the church and know that that's your call as well as you lead your home. It's not to be lording it over the flock, but it is to take spiritual attention, to give spiritual attention to your family, to take that responsibility and to own it for yourself. In a loving, caring manner, you are to lead and protect the flock that God has put under your care as fathers. Mothers, God has called you to the noble task of shepherding the next generation of the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, the way that life works, often you have as much responsibility, if not more responsibility, at least in the area of time, than will your husband. You, more than any other person on earth, have the opportunity to influence your children for God. If he's given you a child, mom, he has given you the privilege to be a shepherd. Do the work. You are the shepherd of their soul. You are the one who must steer them to Christ. You are the one who must show them Jesus. With your life, you will paint a picture of what God looks like. To our young people, how, and I I suppose I speak particularly to the teens among us, how do you view the younger children of this church? I really take some hard inventory here right now. How do you view the younger children of this church? 
Some of you might say, there's younger children in this church? Oh yeah, that's the kids that get in the way. That's the ones you ignore. Do you think that way? I realize younger children aren't very exciting. They can be irritating. They do get in the way, and they don't do anything good for you. Not going to make you more popular. They're not going to tell you anything that you need to know. They're certainly not going to help you with your dress. They don't do a thing but get in the way. But I want you to picture in your mind all of the little children in this church who are younger than you are, whatever age you are. Think of the younger children who are in this church, and I want you to consider for a moment, even though some of them may irritate you, even though none of them may do you any good, those little children are God's lambs. They are part of this flock. And if you are older and you are more mature and you have walked longer with God, then you have an influence in their life if you will notice that they're there, and if you will do something to draw them along to the Lord. They need you to encourage them. They need you to influence them for godliness. They need to see you as a person who is passionate about God. If you just brush them off, if you just ignore them, you will pass up opportunities to shepherd them for the Lord. Teens, is there anyone on this earth that's closer to God because of you? Anyone who knows God better because you are here? Are you a positive spiritual influence on someone? Are you a shepherd that points others to God? I believe I've shared in this story once before, and I share it again. It really hits close to home. There was a young man in one of the churches that I grew up in who kind of took me under his wing. He shepherded my soul. He influenced me to listen to the world's music every Sunday evening in his car in the back parking lot. He showed me his drugs, his drug paraphernalia, and told me all about the times that he used them. In fact, offered for me to join with him. He tempted me with detailed stories of premarital sexual escapades. No one knew what he was doing but me. But what I never understood as a young boy was that he was a spiritual wolf. He had a testimony for Christ at one time in our church, and so no one really suspected what was going on in his life, but he turned from God and turned big time. Took me under his wing and taught me the ways of this world. Now, who was wrong in that? I was wrong in it for listening to what he had to say, certainly. But he had me by seven years and by a lot of influence. In God's mercy, there was a good shepherd 
who was my dad. And there was a good shepherd in heaven who steered me clear. But that influence was strong and powerful for evil. And so I say it with a lot of emotion. But young people, there's kids in this church under you in age and under you in influence. Don't mess with God's lambs. Don't lead them away from God. I hope you will lead them to him. But if you aren't going to do that, don't lead them away. Because there are in this church, and there is in high heaven, some shepherds who care for their souls. I don't address anyone here, honestly. I don't address anyone in our church. I just want to keep it that way. Don't lead God's lambs astray. You take on a wrong attitude or a sinful way of life, and they will be influenced by it. They look up to you. Do not lead them astray. Positively, I ask, are you leading his lambs into paths of righteousness for his namesake? Can you get past your life and your circumstances and how people see you to say, I need to see the younger kids in this church and to lift them up for God? You have a shepherding chore every time we assemble as a church. You maybe have a shepherding chore within your own family to influence younger ages for Christ. Are you leading little lambs into paths of righteousness for his namesake? Do you send the message that you could not possibly care less, or do you send the message that you want them to live for God? Send that message and send it loud and clear. This applies to each one of us in different ways. But we are to think of ourselves as spiritual shepherds, to feed, to lead, to protect, to care, to go after lost sheep and to draw them in. And so I encourage all of us to seek relationships in those terms, not relationships in what it all means to me, and how it can all help me, but to seek relationships in which we can bring others closer to God. As Robert Murray McShane put it at the end of many of his letters, live so as to be missed. That's a good, bold word to straighten us up, isn't it? Live so as to be missed. And maybe that determines sometimes the life that we've lived. Do we... Are we simply going to be the ones who miss life? Or are there going to be those who miss us? We will not be missed if we do not shepherd others in righteousness. We will not be missed at least in the way that we should be. Is there anyone on God's green earth whose spiritual walk would be challenged by your death? Remember how Jesus saw the multitudes in Matthew 9.36 but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. There is a world out there of people with no shepherd. 
And God is equipping you by your relationship to this church to be someone who is able to shepherd souls. I don't know where you are. I don't speak to all of you equally. But He has brought you into this place to be a shepherd of souls and to see what Jesus saw and to reach sheep who are shepherdless. We need to get out there and do it within our own homes, within this church, and beyond here to a watching, waiting, and dying world where the wolves are active and alive. Jesus saw the multitudes as shepherdless and then said that he was the good shepherd. He claimed that there were sheep that belonged to him who were not yet in his fold. It is our privilege as spiritual shepherds to call lost sheep into God's fold. And how are we going to do that? We really ought to do that by feeding the Word of God, by protecting from spiritual influences that are evil, by caring for individuals and saying to them, you matter to me because you matter to God. And to draw them into the life of faith as a spiritual shepherd. It's our privilege to imitate the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Are you at this time pursuing someone for Jesus Christ? Is there an unbeliever on this earth that you're saying, I am seeking to shepherd that person to God? Or perhaps it is someone who has made a confession of faith in Christ, but you are saying, I'm seeking to influence them further for the Lord. There are lost sheep out there. Go find some and stick with them to glory. It is our joy as God's people to live so as to glorify God in the eyes of others. And what a joy it is to do that. I need to throw in a word here probably. As we do grow in our shepherding capacities, some sheep don't like it. There's some sheep that are lost that run away and they do nothing but kick and we can't do everything. Don't be hurt by it. Know that that's the life of the shepherd. Draw in those that are willing to hear and stick with those even that are contrary, but keep holding open your arms as a shepherd and calling them back to the fold if they resist. What we are, to use a different analogy, is just little children. Little children drawing a picture of God we fall so very far short. We see so little of His glories and we are so incapable of articulating the glories that we do see. That's a given for all of us. But let's draw with all our might. Let's shepherd with all of our energies. Let's continue to think of people that we can influence for Christ. It might be just the person you're sitting next to at church one day. It might be somebody who you can enter into a relationship for the rest of your life. But wherever we are, with whomever we are, whatever the circumstances, we need to realize that we are shepherds in God's flock. And we need to draw others to dependence on Him as we influence them for the Lord Jesus Christ. It is with this exhortation that I bring to close this series again and hope to continue to encourage us as a church to think in these terms. And I encourage you today to take inventory, to think. Will those who come behind you find you faithful as we sung? In fact, let's stand and just sing that to the Lord. 
as a testimony, 456, it's on your song sheet on page 3 of your song sheet. May all who come behind us find us faithful. We sing this as a testimony to one another that this is our desire and our hope.